This episode of The Truth contains strong language and drug use. Does yesterday wait for tomorrow? Does yesterday dream up Tomorrow, my father can no longer communicate because he has dementia. I don't want to, I really don't want to, but I go. I go to the facility where he lives. Sorry, can't smoke that there. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Especially not offering me a hit. Are you kidding? (laughs) You here to see a parent? Uh, My dad, yeah. What's his name? Goldfeder? Jack. Yes. He's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Well, now he's a little... Um... Paul, I told you to stay with Mrs. Kramer. To your son? Yeah, another aide keeps an eye on him. Nice. It's funny because I... I'm trying to... I mean, my wife and I are trying to get pregnant, and I I think we might have waited too long. Well, you never know. Paul, go back inside. Now. Handsome boy you got. Thank you. Let me uh, take you to another spot. For what? To light up. Are you kidding? I mean, you don't have to. No, do it's that. no worries, brother. Just keep it on the DL, though. Okay. All right. No. Absolutely. Um, I'm Adam. Elijah. So I'm walking inside this place. It, it's, it's like I'm in a movie, and these characters are fascinating and. Disturbing, funny. I don't know what they're doing. I, I bring in my hope. I mean, some people seem totally fine. They don't like me. I don't like them. I don't need to be here. I'm starting to think maybe I'll find my father smiling or flirting inappropriately with a nurse. <laughs> Elijah spots him. We walk over. It's so easy to live life on autopilot. You know, you just go through the motions, phone it in, keep on keeping on. But rest assured, eventually something will snap you out of it. This is The Truth. I'm Jonathan Mitchell. And today's story is about waking up before it's too late. And this episode is part of a special Radiotopia project. Most of the shows on the network are releasing episodes in response to the theme, The Long Haul. And we're doing this to welcome a brand new show to the Radiotopia family. It's called Over the Road, and it tells the story of America's long-haul truckers. After this episode, please go check it out. Now back to Lucky Penny. I get to the corner of this room. Uh, 
my mother is on one side of him, the aide is on the other, and my dad's in the middle, head down, eyes closed, nothing. So, I, you know, I decided to just tell him a couple of stories about dogs, because he loves dogs, I love dogs, and I actually tell him a story that he told me from his childhood. He said he heard a dog getting beaten viciously in a, like a house or apartment. Runs over there, bangs on his door, the door flies open, and my dad, as a little boy, looks up at this man, and he's like, You don't want that dog? Let me have it! Fine, take her! Throws the dog at my father, my father takes this dog home, ties it up outside, goes in to tell his mother. His mother's like, I got a dirty boy. I don't need a filthy dog. Get out of here with that. But then his father comes home, and I don't know, supposedly without knowing anything, he, he sees the dog tied up outside, unties it, brings it inside, and they keep her. <coughs> Call her Sally. <coughs> so I'm telling this story, and my mother is like, Right, right, right. Remember that story? You remember that story, Jack. And the aide is like, Nice. And my father, head down, eyes closed, nothing. And then I said something funny. I don't remember what. And at the exact moment that my mother and the aide laughed, my father is like... I was startled. I said, yeah, you love dogs, Dad, right? I know you do, Daddy, right? Right? Yes, I do. He hadn't spoken in months. Where's that kid? Where's that kid? There he is. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Oh, you got an Adam. I need an Adam apple. I'm going to eat the apple. And yeah, my father did so many characters, always with the characters. I was dancing with my honey, and our nose got runny. But don't think it's funny, because it's not. I mean, even as an adult, he'd never leave me a message in his own voice. Usually this old Jewish... My son won't call me back. I think he's dead. Which is good, because if he's not dead, I'm going to kill him. Adam, I'm going to tell you something very important. Very is the most important thing you'll ever know. Your mother's the greatest. She's the smartest, the funniest, the cutest. Your mother's the most amazing. But they fought all the time. I, I, I think I was eight or nine. They'd had a fight. And the next day, my mother was in a really bad mood, upset. And I remember thinking she's taking it out on me. And we get in this big fight. My father comes home from work. He sees how upset my mother is, but he won't listen to my side. I get so mad at him. I'm now more mad at him than I am at her. We sit down for dinner, and I'm just under my breath. Stupid idiot. My father looks at me. So tense. Fucking idiot. He's just staring at me. What'd you say? And I say, I'm sorry, Ma. I'll, I'll do the dishes and I'll clean off the kitchen table because I know Daddy never does. He sees looking. And I do, I do the dishes and, you know, start cleaning off the kitchen table. He's still just looking, looking at me. And then my father leans forward and he says, well, You missed that spot. And I push him. 
He throws me against the kitchen counter. I grab a butcher knife. I hold it up to him, and my father thrusts his stomach forward toward the knife and says, Come on! Come on! Come on! And I dropped the knife and started crying. Almost 30 years later, I'm on a phone with my wife, Kyoko. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's Clomid, but I mean, if you don't, I mean, you don't have to do this. It's, it's not. I know. I just want to read about it more. All right. I mean, this, the side. I've read the side of one side effect is that we we might have twins. The one is okay. Twins. Yeah. Expensive. Then I get another call from my mother. Oh, uh, are you on the other line? No, it's okay though. I'm. Uh, no, call okay. me later. Ma, it's it's okay. What's going on? What? Your father had a terrible headache, so I gave him some ice. Ice? To chew on, you know. Did that help? No. And then I gave him an aspirin, and now he's sleeping, see? Okay. That's all. The next morning, the headache got so bad that my father, who'd say, Those doctors, they're all crooks. If I'm ever a block away from a hospital, shoot me in the head. That morning, he says he wants to go. So it turns out he had had a massive stroke. He's rushed into surgery. There's been such an enormous amount of bleeding in the brain that they don't know if he's going to, you know, make it. Um, So we move him to what's called a transitional care unit with two floors. The first floor is like a party. I mean, there's performances and music, there's dancing, there's visitors, everybody's like, uh, you know. But the second floor, everyone up there is crammed into one room all day. And most people in that room are like... (laughs) So whatever happens, my father's not going to the second floor because he doesn't belong there. He's doing great. My mother comes every day for the meals as soon as he sees her. My beautiful bride! Okay, pick up the fork. You're going to eat now. She's so beautiful. Then I find out that every day they're testing him cognitively and that he's failing some of these tests, and they begin mentioning the second floor. Some social worker tells my sister he can't walk. I'm like, what? I was just there. I saw him walking. I don't believe that. So I rush back to the place. I go right to his room. I'm like, Dad, what's going on? You, you can't walk now? Who the hell knows? Come on, Dad. You can walk, can't you? So I just like, I I bend down, I take hold of him, pull him up by the back of his pants. And then I bring him up, right? I put his weight on me. It's like I'm bending backwards. And I bring him up. I let go. And he's standing. That you're standing on your own. Can you walk? What do you think? And he takes a step. (laughs) Jack, you go, man. You go get that social worker. Of course, brother. He does, and she arrives, and I say, Dad, can you show her? And he starts walking all around the room. He's walking, walking, walks right to the bathroom, puts his hand on the doorknob, looks at the social worker, looks at Elijah, and then just goes into the bathroom. And I'm like, look at this. This ain't no second floor guy. Tell them what you did to get him to walk. Nothing. I just held him. Then my dad's in that bathroom for a while. My mother shows up. We knock. Nothing. 
So, you know, I'm getting a little worried. We open the door. He's sitting on the toilet, his diapers at his ankles. He looks up, and it's him. His eyes are clear. And, and then he does what he's always done. He, he's sitting on the toilet, and he just makes up, he makes up a song. Beautiful family in my heart and soul. I gave them everything I could. family in my heart and soul I gave them everything I could Later, things change Um, There's no more discussion They moved my father to the second floor. And they put him into that room. This terrible room. He can't talk now. And his body is, it's starting to contract. But I go in and I just take his head into my hands. And I just kiss, 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 kiss. And he smiles at me. So some months later, we hear he's gotten pneumonia once, twice, three times, red flag. We get a call from a palliative physician. Basically, it's a doctor of dying. And this guy calls a meeting with my whole family, my mother, my sister, myself, and and we find out that my brother says he's coming to this meeting. And we're all like, oh boy, because my, my brother's not only a lot more intense than I am, He's also unpredictable. My parents were both pretty much atheists, but several decades ago, my brother made a life change that took and became an ultra-Orthodox Jew. Anyway, we're all there waiting for the palliative physician, my sister and her husband, my mother, myself, and my wife, Kyoko, and my brother in the black suit and hat and beard and you know his wife with the wig, and he's very serious, you know, and we're all wondering if he's going to... I don't know, go too far, make some kind of Hebrew scene, start davening, I don't know. Anyway, then down the hall, we see a guy looks Italian with shoulder-length black hair, very handsome jeans and sandals, looking around, sees us, walks over. Hey, guys. Oh, there's a lot of you guys. Uh, okay, let's go to the conference room. We do... We're keeping an eye on my brother walking very seriously. You know, like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? You know, we get there, we sit down. Okay, guys. So, uh, first I'd like to say, clearly, your father, your husband, Jack, has a lot of love. And I'm thinking, I don't like this guy. So... As you know, your dad has Lewy body dementia, which has Parkinsonian symptoms, like his body contracting and a deterioration of his musculature, which has led him now to have trouble swallowing. That's why he gets pneumonia. Uh, Food gets into his lungs, collects bacteria. But this meeting 
is one question, one choice. Either we insert a feeding tube into your father's abdomen, or we don't. My brother shifts in his chair. And even with the feeding tube, your dad still can get pneumonia. In addition, I really think we should think about your dad's quality of life. Now my brother is glaring at the doctor. My sister is glaring at my brother, and my mother is smiling at the doctor because I think she thinks he's very handsome. I like his shirt. Thank you. I have to add that the feeding tube is very, very, very expensive. There's a pause. My brother stands up. And we're like, okay, here it comes. Here it comes. He looks at the doctor and says, Doctor, I just want to ask you one thing. So if you don't put the feeding tube into my father, are you just going to starve him? I go to my father's room. Now he's frozen. Eyes in a fog. Can't eat, can't talk, can't walk. His mouth is wide open. I whisper in his ear. Dad, we're all okay. We're all fine. If you want to go, you can go. If you want to hang around a couple more months, then I, I haven't told anyone this yet, but it's finally happened. Kyoko's pregnant. I'm going to be a father. And then it's a boy. So he didn't wake up. You know, his eyes didn't get all clear. and But he did. He did turn his head. And he looked at me. There were only two things my father ever told me about his father. One was the story of letting him keep the dog, Sally. The other was a regret. Um, I, I found out recently that my father's father was a longshoreman in Staten Island. A crate fell on him. He got hurt, couldn't support his family, had a mental breakdown and was put into a state mental hospital. And at the time, these were gigantic warehouses where low-income mentally were left to rot. The last time my dad saw his dad was in one of these places. He, he said he never wanted to go. You know, he always wanted to play stickball. You know, one day his mother just drags him there and the place smells like piss and vomit and shit and you know as soon as they get there they see some guy just like scratching scratching himself so fast and hard that his arms have you know, blood and scabs and then they stop because they realize that this guy this guy is his father his father doesn't even acknowledge his mother but when his father sees him something happens he goes to embrace him my dad still remembers how he smelled. And then his, his father runs to another part of the room, reaches down into a box, takes something out, runs back to my dad, and holds up a penny. 
offering it to him. And my dad's a little boy. He's frightened and, you know, he just keeps telling his mom he wants to go, he wants to go. And his father keeps holding up this penny. Later they go. And his father just sits back down and continues with the scratching. Seventy years later, what makes my dad break down crying every single time he tells this story is that he didn't take it. He didn't take the penny. Uh, hey, buddy, I'm so sorry to call you so late. Um, uh, I just wanted to let you know that this evening when I went to check on your dad uh, well uh, brother I just wanted you to know that uh, when we went to check on, on your dad uh, we found that he had passed away I'm so sorry I'm so sorry Adam Because of my brother, the funeral was ultra-Orthodox Jewish. Now, my father was not just an atheist. He was an atheist, which I mean, doesn't really make any sense because I could be that angry at nothing. So at, at an ultra-Orthodox Jewish burial, the tradition is that family members, children, grandchildren, are supposed to shovel the dirt into the grave. Uh, my brother is there with his six kids. My mother, who's four foot nine, is right up front. My, my brother's four boys are all shoveling dirt, dirt, more dirt. My mother's watching. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt. My mother is watching. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt. They're just about finished. Suddenly, my mother calls out. He's not getting out of there now. No one makes a sound. It's quiet. And we all start walking away. Goodbye, Jack. The next day, my wife goes into labor and it is the most terrifying time of my life because every time she has a contraction, the, the monitor measuring the baby's heartbeat shoots down to nothing. The head doctor on the floor is at the door. Our doctor excuses himself for a moment, goes over to that guy, lowers his voice, but I hear him say... It's a very serious situation. I get so fucking scared. He comes back and says... Okay, Kyoko, you're doing great. You're doing great. We're just waiting for the next contraction. Here it comes. And... Push! 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 The baby's head starts to come out. Okay. Breathe. 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 Here comes another one. Push! 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 
cuts her down there and pulls this boy out. I see the umbilical cord is wrapped twice around his neck. He unwraps it quickly. This boy is healthy. This boy is perfect. You know, I I don't know why my father woke up for me. A number of times. The the dog story, walking, uh, uh, singing on the toilet. Uh, he, He didn't do that for my sister. My mother, my brother, the nurses. He did it for me. And every time it happened, for the first time in my life, I felt like a hero. I mean, my father always had something going on with me. I, I don't know if it was because I was the youngest, but it was always like he would look at me and be like, it's you, it's you, it's you. And very often come to me and say, don't you know how much I love you? Don't you know how much I love you? I'd be like, I don't want to know. So last year I lost my father. And I became one. Now I know how much he loved me. Does yesterday wait for tomorrow? Does yesterday dream up tomorrow? Does yesterday speak to tomorrow? A celebration, a celebration, a celebration, a celebration, a celebration. original stories like this, go to thetruthpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is thetruthfiction. Lucky Penny was written and performed by David Deblinger and was produced by me, Jonathan Mitchell, with music by Fred Johnson. It was based on a stage production originally created at Labyrinth Theatre Company, directed and developed by Ben Snyder. The other performers were Maggie Burke, Tomoko Miyagi, Neil Tyrone Pritchard, Louis Kornfeld, and David Aaron Baker. Special thanks to Magnet Theater. They offer classes and shows on improv, sketch, and storytelling in New York City. You can learn more at magnettheater.com. The Truth is a part of Radiotopia from PRX. We're a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts. And you can learn more about all the Radiotopia shows at radiotopia.fm. And if you'd like to sponsor a future episode of The Truth, send an email to sponsor at radiotopia.fm. Our associate producer is Kara Ehlenfeldt. Our associate editor is Davey Gardner. I'm Jonathan Mitchell, and you have been hearing... The Truth. As I mentioned earlier, this episode is part of a network-wide welcome for a brand new Radiotopia show. In partnership with Overdrive Magazine, Over the Road explores the daily life and changing culture of trucking in America. I want you to think about the last time you took a long drive... 
You pull onto the freeway and merge into the center lane. Take a sip of coffee and set the cruise control. Then around the bend, you see the back of a tractor trailer. As you come alongside the cab, you can just make out one arm slung over the steering wheel. As you look up, for just a second, you wonder, where's that truck going? What's inside it? And who's that person behind the wheel? Well, there's a slight chance that person was me. I've driven a truck for almost 40 years now. With some help from the good folks at Radiotopia and Overdrive magazine, I'm going to take you along for a ride. I'm Long Haul Paul, and this is Over the Road. To find out more and subscribe, head to overtheroad.fm. Radiotopia.